Welcome to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. So glad you guys are tuned in. And we haven't been in this position for about almost two months, but we are recording two days after a Dolphins win. The Dolphins and a seven-game losing streak and a 17-9 win over the Houston Texans. It was not pretty, but as Mike Kosecki said, a win is a win. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also on a short week. The Dolphins are right back at it at Hard Rock Stadium facing the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday night. Lamar Jackson, hometown kid, also Marquise Hollywood Brown. So we're going to get into that. But first, I want to introduce this week's guest. And uh, quickly, I actually actually have two guests this week. So I'm really excited to get into uh, talk Dolphins and Ravens with both of these guests. But my first guest is Hal Habib, who covers the Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post. Hal, how are you doing? Doing great, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Excited for the Thursday night game. We kind of get the, the weekend off, like little mini bye week. <laughs> Excited for that. Uh, but but I want to start with this Texans game. Uh, like I said, the Dolphins, they ended a seven-game losing streak uh, in beating the, the Texans. And it was not pretty. 26 points between both teams, 10 penalties, nine turnovers, five for the Dolphins' side. It was not pretty, but they won the game. You know, we're kind of – I can't say we're at the halfway point of the season because it's a 17-game schedule, but we're kind of, you know, one, you know, we're nine games into it, so we can say we're, we're past the halfway mark. Uh, do you know where do you find where do you see this team now? Like, is there much to take away from this win as they kind of go into the second half of the season? No. <laughs> how's that? How's that for a brief answer? No, I really, I mean, anything that they did in a positive fashion. Um, you gotta you gotta look at it within the prism of these are the Houston Texans. These it's a team that, that came in on a seven-game losing streak, now eight, a team that was ranked at the bottom of the league in so many categories. And now, okay, the Dolphins won, but you know, most of their points came off turnovers. I mean, it seemed like every other possession in this game was ending in a in a giveaway by somebody. Um, so yeah, you, you maybe on one hand, you're glad uh, if you're a Dolphin fan that they finally won a game that they didn't lose to Jaguars light in, in the Texans. Yeah. But um, at the same time, you know, you're wondering how would they do playing that way against even an average team, yeah. let alone a team as good as the Ravens. Yeah, that's the thing that I really came away with. It's like you, 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 you know, you kind of left yourself kind of like happy for the minute sense. It's like, wow, finally we're able to kind of break that losing streak because you know we we had kind of endured weeks and weeks of we're close, we're almost there. The ball just needs to bounce our way, and the ball finally did bounce their way. But you know, I'm sitting in the interview room and I'm looking at the score and I'm like, they beat maybe the second worst team in the NFL by eight points. And the game, you know, it didn't come down to the wire. I mean, they were the Texans were pinned and right in the in their right near their end zone, you know, for the final drive. So you didn't really think that anything, no miracle was gonna happen, you know, the Miami miracle, none of that was gonna happen. <laughs> um, but you still left yourself like, is this really like how we've kind of regressed to like winning, beating the Texans by eight points? And again, you take a win whenever it comes, but it just wasn't really that impressive. I, I think it's funny, like the, some of the questions that, 
you know, the players and Coach Flores have kind of gotten in the past couple of days since the win. It's almost like you would think that maybe they lost, you know, the way, like, you know, we're questioning about the offensive line and whether some changes might be in play. And I found it kind of interesting that Flores did say uh, there's been a lot of conversations about uh, making some changes, potentially getting Greg Little, who the team acquired in August, but hasn't, tra- hasn't played in the, in the regular season. And I found that kind of interesting, especially on a short week. You know, I'm not sure why they want to tinker with that. But I mean, at two and seven, there's you know they'll they'll say they're still trying to win. We all know that they're not, they're not making the playoffs, but they but they still have a job to do. I mean, do you think we're at the point where you say, hey, we got to start giving these young guys or these younger guys because the offensive line is young as it is. Do we are we at the point where we say, hey, let's give Greg Little a shot, let's give Robert Jones a shot because because. I'm, I can play devil's advocate and say, hey, they're not mathematically out of the playoffs, even though we know they're not going to make the playoffs. And they still have a lot of incentive to try to develop guys like Liam Eikenberg and Austin Jackson and whatnot. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, you know, it's easy to hear him say that they're thinking about inserting a Greg Little and, and you're thinking, well, maybe this will add a little bit of juice to a very bad offensive line. But look at it this way. I mean, we're halfway into the season and they traded for Greg Little and he hasn't even been active. Yeah. So, you know, if he can't crack this lineup, you know, let's be careful about uh, thinking that that he might be a savior or something. Um, because if, if he were that good, he would at least have, have been in uniform a little bit. He, he would have gotten a few snaps or something by now. And, you know, it is sort of perplexing that they haven't uh, maybe gone to gone to the bullpen yet uh, more on, you know, the offensive line. But at the same time, I think, you know, the guys that they've been playing of late are maybe the best five that they have. And, you know, we, we're still waiting for Dieter to come back. And obviously, when he gets healthy, you know, I think they'll plug him right in at, at center. But other than that, I don't know how much better this line is going to get until we get into next season. I know that's not what anybody wants to hear, but I'm just being realistic about it. Um, it, it, it really is amazing that that they're struggling to this extent on the line, yeah. given how much draft capital and how much attention they've spent on trying to make this line better, and and they just haven't gotten anywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many kind of like just dumbfounding things with the 2021 Dolphins, and I think that maybe like what tops the list is the regression of the offensive line. I mean, we all know it's a young group. Um, you know, it's a made up of a lot of first, second year guys but you know from I, I keep on saying from everything that I that I read and heard you know Austin Jackson um you know he, he started out pretty well and then he had an injury and when he came back he he wasn't really he never really got back to form but you know you hear all these things about Liam Eikenberg being so technically sound and they're playing him at a whole bunch of different spots and he just he just looks lost at left tackle he just looks a step slow I, I'm not really sure if his NFL future is at that left tackle and you know jesse davis hasn't been much better at right tackle i mean is there can you pinpoint like one thing that's wrong with the offensive line like the, the reason we've seen this 
massive regression. Obviously, I know that there was a change in uh, offensive line coach, and you're getting Jean-Pierre in for the first time. But it's like it's one thing for them to not really improve, but the level of regression that we've seen from the offensive line is like really alarming. I think the shortcomings are pretty complete. I mean, whether you look at pass protection, you look at run blocking, you look at athleticism, uh, quickness, you know, off the line, you can just go down one thing after another. And there's, there's just, I I don't know how much there is as far as a building block. Um, Eichenberg, you know, he, he mentioned him and he came in, you know, never giving up sacks in college and all. And yet, yeah, he, he's given up sacks. He's given up pressures. There have been penalties. Um, he, he needs – maybe he needs to move inside. I, I don't know what it is, but right now he's nowhere near what they thought that, that they were getting. And I'm not sure how much of it is his fault and how much of it is just not being put in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I know um... – on Tuesday, it was because we spoke to, uh, we spoke to, or I guess it was Monday because <laughs> they Tuesday. Uh, we spoke to Flores and the coordinators, and you know, Godsey was asked how much of the playbook is kind of scrapped because the offensive line really cannot hold their blocks for like a sustainable amount of time for to let plays develop, and Godsey kind of like danced around it, but the way he's been talking in recent weeks leads me to believe that I mean. You know, we can see it. He, he can, the coaches can see it as well. And he hasn't flat out said the offensive line isn't the reason why we're not, you know, more explosive. But, I mean, he, he's kind of hinted at it. He said, hey, the protection hasn't lined up. We haven't been able to protect guys. And, uh, you know, I know there was a big mystery, like, the first month of the season. Like, why isn't this Dolphins offense explosive? Why can't they throw the ball downfield? And, you know, we placed a bit of blame on the play caller. We placed a bit of blame on Jacoby Brissett, who was filling in early on in the season. But really, I see this offensive line is really what's been limiting and hindering this offense. And of course, you know, there, there's guys like Preston Williams, who's been injured and had discipline issues. And uh, Will Fuller and uh, Devontae Parker have been out because of injuries. But really, it seems like everything kind of starts and really finishes with this offensive line and how they just have not been able to uh, block effectively in the pass game or the run game. Well, a, a good offensive line can mask a whole lot of shortcomings elsewhere. And, uh, you know, if you're a Miami fan, you might not know that because it's been so long since they've had a good offensive line. Um, but it, it's been a complete breakdown in a lot of ways because not only – uh, is the blocking not there, but the running backs haven't really shown anything this year. The receivers have all been injured. The quarterbacks are either incapable or reluctant to move the ball downfield. So when you put all that together, what do you have? Uh, you know, not you have the <laughs> number 30 ranked offense in the NFL. And, you know, I don't know if I could pick a worse time to be going against the Ravens yeah. uh, who just Miami has never matched up well with Baltimore. And, and I don't know that Thursday is really going to prove to be any different. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a tough test um, for that Dolphins offense. And at this point we still don't even know if he's going to be a starting quarterback, which I want to get to next. 
Um, you know, Tua Tungvaluwa didn't play in Texans win because of a left finger injury, which we found out later to be kind of a fracture on his middle finger of his throwing hand uh, that kept him out of the Houston game. But it was, it was a weird development because, uh, you know, Flores said the Friday before the Texans game that he was quote-unquote optimistic or when asked if he was optimistic, he said yes, he was, that Tua was going to play. Um, you know, the, the Fox broadcast said that Tua couldn't really go through his uh, – like pregame routine and Flores said Tua wasn't able to throw the ball um, the way that they would have wanted Tua to run the offense. So Tua doesn't start, but he's not inactive. Jacoby Brissett is the starter. Tua is the quote-unquote emergency quarterback. Uh, Tua didn't have to go into the Texans win, but you know, as we said, about 48 hours or so before the Thursday night game, uh, it's still up in the air. You know, we spoke to Jacoby Brissett today and uh, Flores said himself, you know, if the game is being played Tuesday night, Jacoby would be the starter. Um, but even if Jacoby is the starter, apparently Tua will be the backup, which is I found a, found to be kind of interesting because if, you know, the guy can't play and he's not able to start, I'm curious why he'd be inactive. I mean, do you think he should play? Do you think he will play? And does it even really matter at the end of the day? Well, what could be better than a team with co-offensive coordinators to have co-starting quarterbacks? <laughs> Just throw them both out there. Yeah, maybe maybe go with the relatively seldom used two-quarterback system. Although I guess, you know, Taysom Hill uh, might argue with you. Uh, but... <laughs> But, yeah, um, it, it is odd. Um, normally, if a guy can't play, he's just going to be inactive. Um, I, part of me, uh, being, you know, a wise guy, also wonders if, if Tua can't throw deep and he's limited that way, is that a problem because his team just doesn't throw deep anyway? So, yeah, you know, <laughs> you can look at it that way. Um, <clears throat> you know, I – trying to read the tea leaves here and, and look between the lines. Um, the fact that the Dolphins, uh, you know, when it came time to make their starting, quote-unquote, starting quarterback available to the media, uh, it was Brissett who addressed us. Yeah. And they could have hedged their bets by making both guys available. They could have made two available. Maybe it says something that Brissett was the one to talk to us. And at the same time, you know, as you mentioned, Flores said, if the game were Tuesday night and who ever plays Tuesday night football. But, well, the Ravens, the Ravens played a, I believe the Ravens did last year because of the, uh, the COVID. COVID. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to cover a Tuesday night game against the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, a minute ago you were uh, kind of thinking, okay, this is Tuesday yesterday was Monday and you know, all this going on, it seems just so weird not only to be playing on a Thursday night, but playing on a Thursday night when we just gained an hour of sleep. It's it's all messed up. Yeah, my whole uh, mind is like thrown off right now. But yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if I had to guess, I think I might guess Brissett, but who knows? Uh, they could try out either guy. And maybe they're just enjoying keeping the Ravens and Harbaugh guessing at this point. Yeah, I mean, there definitely could be some level of subterfuge there. Uh, I really don't think it changes much. I mean, 
I think that the offense does run better with Tua. Obviously, we've seen that the offense is better and yes. can score a few more points. But it's you're not you're not changing up much, to be honest. When you throw in Jacoby and Tua, you know maybe Tua is a little more slithery in his ability to kind of evade pressure. Jacoby's more of a bigger guy and just kind of shrugs off, you know, pass rushers. But overall, not much is changing there. No. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough on tough on either guy. Uh, but before I let you go, I just want to ask, do you have any score predictions? I, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's not as bad as the 2019 game. But I'm, I'm assuming you don't think <laughs> it's going to be 59 to 10, right? Um, no, I think I picked uh, for the paper something in the neighborhood of 27-10. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I might have been generous toward the Dolphins in that, to be honest with you, because um, the past three times that these teams have played, it's 137 to 16. Yeah, it hasn't so, been pretty. Yeah, uh, there's a 40 to nothing game. There's 59-10. The Dolphins just don't play well against these guys. So, you know, it, it's not – I don't think it's going to be pretty Thursday night either. Yeah, I mean, Vegas – Vegas must think or know something because I think a lot of people were surprised. You know, I saw, I remember when you tweeted out that the, the line was like Baltimore by seven. Right. I was, I was, I was shocked at that, but again, it's Thursday night. The Ravens are, are they have to travel. Uh, the Ravens right. just came off of an overtime win. You know, they, they've kind of, they've had a wacky season. You know, they played three overtime games, had a couple crazy comebacks. So I, I feel like if anything, you kind of expect the unexpected with this, uh, with this Ravens team and uh, who knows? I mean, I personally think it's actually going to be a little bit closer than most people think. But again, I think that, you know, once the fourth quarter rolls around, you know, we'll see Lamar and that team kind of, kind of take over like they usually do. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think the, the touchdown underdog thing is probably mostly related to uh road team, on a Thursday night, I think all of that is a big factor. I mean, Daniel, imagine if this game were in Baltimore. What would the line be then? I mean, I'd imagine it'd have to be close to close to two touchdowns, really. I would I would imagine. It would be it would be big, yeah. <laughs> it would be. Um, yeah, I mean Jac- Jacoby said it kind of he kind of put it all out there. He said, you know, if we're gonna win this game, we're gonna have to play our best game of the season. And uh, last Sunday was far from it. They're gonna have to play a lot better. We all know that, and it's gonna be a, a tough task. But I, I, I've been saying a lot for the past few months. That's why we play the games. So we're, we're gonna see. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me for the first half of this uh, edition of the Dolphins and Death Podcast. Looking forward to seeing you on Thursday night and watching the game. Thanks so much. Of course. So we're going to take a short break. But on the other side, like I said before, I have another special guest for you guys. We're going to get more into uh, this Dolphins-Ravens matchup. What can the Dolphins do to stop Lamar Jackson, the 2019 NFL MVP? We're going to talk about that soon, so stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back. We're still here on the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I first want to say thanks so much to Howe for joining me on the first half uh, to talk. The Dolphins went over the Texans and kind of look ahead uh, to Thursday night's game against the Ravens. And like I told you on the other side, I have another special guest for you guys. Um, I want to introduce Jonas Schaefer, who covers the Ravens for the Baltimore Sun. And for a lot of you that have been, have been listening to the podcast uh, since I got here, you guys know that I spent my last two years at the Baltimore Sun covering the Ravens. I worked alongside Jonas. I learned so much from him, and I'm so glad to have him on the podcast to talk to the Ravens. So, Jonas, so welcome, and uh, it's good to, good to talk to you. It's been a while. <laughs> It's been, you know, good to good to catch up with you, man. Uh, I just, uh, I just wish this were a game between two better teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we there, there is that. I don't think it's going to be fifty nine to ten bad, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not the clash of the titans <laughs> that anyone was looking for. Uh, now, I, I want to kind of get right into, you know, number one on the Dolphins' list of problems on Thursday night, which is Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, I remember, you know, that was the first regular season game I covered on the Ravens beat. I know you were down there in South Florida, I believe, um, as Lamar threw out, I believe it was five touchdowns. He had a perfect passer rating. Um, it was kind of his coming out party in a sense, and we all remember the not bad for a running back uh, quote after the game, which was just just great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've really seen him it's kind of grown – and for, right in front of our eyes, you know, that 2019 uh, unanimous MVP season, um, 2020 leading the Ravens back to the playoffs, winning his first playoff game. And in 2021, he's kind of taken it to another level. And I think for me, the fascinating part has been, you know, given the injuries on both sides of the ball, and specifically offense with uh, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards being out, you know, the way he's been able um, to kind of shoulder the load in the passing game and the run game. Now, you know, I, I've watched him for the past two seasons. I've watched him here and then I've watched a couple games during this season. But but I want to ask you, I mean, what has really clicked for Lamar in that offense, specifically the passing game in, in year three, you know, the first the year year three of, you know, that that Greg Roman offense with him? I think he's a lot more confident and he's a lot more competent in terms of spreading the ball around. I think you can't overlook the improvements that you have at, at receiver, you know, Mark Andrews, I think is probably maybe still PFF's number one tight end. He's a guy who's, uh, I think, number two in the NFL among tight ends receiving yards per game. So you always want to have a guy on him. Uh, Hollywood Brown has a kind of overnight transformed from a guy who a lot of Ravens fans had already written off to a, a top 10 receiver in this league, perhaps. Uh, you know, thinking back to that, that Miami game, uh, one of the more incredible aspects of it was was in fact Hollywood Brown. I mean, I think he only had about 12 snaps, maybe 14 or something like that. And he had over 100 yards, uh, just a ridiculously efficient game. And you know, he hasn't gone quite to those supersonic levels, but he's a guy who's uh, capable of doing a lot of stuff after the catch now. Uh, and he's also just a guy that you have to respect with deep safety. Um, pairing him probably with Sammy Watkins, who looks like he'll make his way back from a thigh injury, uh, a nice possession receiver who's, who's really kind of come up with some big catches, including that that really nice fourth long catch against Detroit. You have Rashad Bateman, uh, who's you know come on strong these last two games, the first round pick at Minnesota. 
And then you just have a, a Lamar who is, uh, you know, throwing more to the outside, connecting more to the outside. Uh, hasn't been super accurate the past couple of games throwing deep, but it's always something you have to respect with him. Um, those those wobbles, those, you know, kind of wounded duck throws that you and I saw the past couple of years have pretty much seemingly disappeared. And even if he hasn't been as effective a runner this year, you know, partly because of the offensive line, partly because you don't really have to respect Devontae Freeman and Tyson Williams and Le'Veon Bell, but she did Gus Edwards and Jacob Dobbins. He's still just a tremendous, tremendous threat when it comes to scrambling or running with the ball in design spots. So, um, you know, he hasn't been as efficient as a passer as he was during that 2019 season, nor as efficient as a runner, but a lot more has been asked of him. And uh, he's really stepped up and delivered so far this year. Yeah, you know, I know the first thing that, you know, I won't say casual fans, but just just naturally, when you watch Lamar, um, you just think about his athletic ability and the ability to run. Um, but it, it's, again, it's really the, the passing game. And, you know, I, I think that the second half of the Colts game was probably like the best I've seen from him. I, I don't know about you, but I just, sure. yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen him throwing the ball with such like precision and accuracy and confidence. Um, and, and I was wondering, you know, I know that uh, you've written a lot in, I've read a lot in the past about kind of how they've evolved the, uh, the, the run game concepts, you know, like we, the 2018, it was a lot of read option, um, you know, reading the, the outside edge defender and, and, you know, making a playoff of that. Um, Roman started to sprinkle in some of these like inverted veer power read counter bash um, options. But but I want to ask in terms of the past game, like, has there been any change philosophically or schematically in in what they're doing? Because I know that early on in the season, you know, Lamar leads the the league, I believe in, you know, air yards per attempt, but it seems like they they were able to connect a lot more um, on those deep attempts early in the year and, you know, really throughout the first half of the season. You know, I think they're kind of limited in terms of, a variety of routes that you might see a Chiefs offense or a Packers offense might run because, and you know, this is something that, that you obviously saw up close and personal. Uh, Lamar does not get a lot of man-to-man looks. Uh, when he does, it's usually on third down. It's usually because teams are blitzing him, and that's always a risky proposition because he can just, you know, make you look bad with the scrambling ability and break down into the open field. Um, but because of the amount of zone coverages that he faces, you know, the Ravens too a lot of levels contests where you have, you know, a guy in the flat, a guy in that intermediate area and a guy uh, moving downfield. So you can try to basically stress test that defense and have them pick their poison. Uh, and, you know, when it's, when it's worked for the Ravens, it's worked really, really well. Uh, but the one thing that I think, you know, we've seen these past couple of weeks is teams are playing off coverage. They're daring Lamar to beat them short, which is, I think, as you mentioned in that Indianapolis game, something he was extremely competent at doing. I think it was a little bit more willingness to take what was given to him because of the time and the, the, the score situations, but he's been a little less willing to do that. Um, you know, it was interesting that uh, basically the majority of the checkdowns that he did throw against Minneapolis, against Minnesota on Sunday were to Patrick Ricard, not to Devontae Freeman, not to Le'Veon Bell, not to Tyson Williams, but to the 300-pound fullback. And he did a pretty good job, you know, three catches for 35 yards, I think. Yeah. So um, I think the Dolphins would probably be wise to try and follow that strategy, you know, just try to clog up the middle, um, play, you know, two or three deep safeties, you know, like cover three, and just ask Lamar, hey, um, we trust our pass rush to get to you with only four. We don't think you're willing or able to take these five to eight-yard checkdowns. And 
it might work. It definitely worked for, for Minnesota in that first half, but um, Lamar and Greg Roman, I think have done a great job all season long coming out of second half with adjustments and new game plans to, to better attack defenses. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what Flores and uh, the defense coordinator, Josh Boyer do, because uh, it's funny you mentioned, you know, that a lot of you know, teams are, you know, playing zone against him and kind of forcing him to, to you know, take the little, the little things and work his way down the field. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had asked and I had written about it, you know, the kind of man versus zone conundrum for the Dolphins defense. Cause they're kind of, they're kind of built like the, the Ravens defense in the sense that they really invest a lot of money in their secondary, you know, right. um, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, you know, they, they've given them really big contracts kind of the way that, the Ravens have given big contracts to Marlon Humphrey and uh, Marcus Peters. And, you know, they kind of kind of relying on, on pressure, a lot of pressure and, and, you know, relying on the back end to hold up in the secondary. Um, but it's kind of been a down year in a sense for Xavier Howard. He hasn't, you know, get, gotten as many interceptions as possible. He's given up um, some more touchdowns than usual. And the same thing for, for Byron Jones. Right. Uh, so, so I'm curious if, you know, they, I think in recent weeks, the Dolphins have actually blitzed more um, than they did early on. And I think they're having a little more success, but I wonder if they stick to that, to that concept or that mindset that, Hey, we're just going to do what we usually do in blitz or whether they say, Hey, we've got to really adjust our game plan to Lamar and, and, and sit back in those zones. And, you know, if there's one, if there's one matchup that I think the Dolphins could have some success in it, it, is the defensive front against the the offensive line of the of the Ravens because right. um, you know I don't think Patrick McCarry is going to play. He he's been out uh, with the ankle injury, right? Yeah, yeah, he hasn't practiced this week, so it's not looking good for him. Yeah, so I mean, if he's out again, that that'd be Tyree Phillips at right tackle. Emmanuel Agba leads the Dolphins in five sacks. Jalen Phillips is, has come on strong. Christian Wilkins is pretty good inside, even though I think that's a tougher test against, against Bozeman and Seitler. Um, but, but I do think that, you know, they can apply some pressure. You know, I, I, I think of that first game, uh, the Ravens first Ravens game this season against the Raiders yeah. and how much pressure Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe were able to, um, to apply. They, they really made him uncomfortable, um, you know, in, in that game. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if the Dolphins want to have any success, you know, Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Agba, Christian Wilkins, they're going to have to have that type of game. Um, because, you know, I do think that, you know, in terms of the secondary, you know, the, the cornerbacks are, are going to be able to do their job, but there are, also, there are some young safeties in the back end, Javon Holland and uh, Brandon Jones, and, you know, they're still kind of learning the ropes and whatnot. So uh, it is going to be a tough task. You know, they, they spoke a lot about this week about, you know, you got to be disciplined. We have to have eye discipline. Everyone has to do their job. And everyone says that, but it's like, a, it's a lot different when you get on the field than you play that offense, you know, they're, there's nobody that runs an offense like that. You know, teams are starting to take bits and pieces of that, um, but there's no offense that runs the same exact scheme as the Ravens, and nobody has a player like Lamar. It's a lot tougher uh, than, you know, a lot, lot tougher to do it than to just say you're going to be disciplined. Yeah, and the Dolphins have to get ready with, with just three days of practice, right? I mean, that's probably yeah. the, the, the biggest imposition on them. It's just there are only so many hours in the day to prepare for Lamar, and Lamar, to his credit, uh, is, is one of the NFL's best, I think, quarterbacks on a, on a short week of rest. He, he hasn't lost on a short week of rest um, before that Chargers game, where he was okay, wasn't great. Um, his, his production on a per-game basis was actually better than his career production. Um, so, so that's kind of interesting back to it. And with, with Wilkins against, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, 
Zeitler on the right side or maybe Ben Powers on the left side. Uh, he is probably, you know, if you look at BFF, the, the strongest, uh, you know, guy uh, for, for that Dolphins pass rush next to Ogba. And it's been interesting when you have these teams only rushing for um, what you are asking these defensive lines to do a lot of the cases is to speed rush off the side, um, but not to overdo it. You want to kind of keep them more crowd and then have your tackles apply and not what I would say, like pocket collapsing pressure, but just to stay in the gap, you know, stay, yeah. stay in their gap. Yeah. You, you, you want to be there so that when Lamar feels that pressure and, and wants to escape, even if you're not quick enough because you're 320 pounds and Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson, even if you can't get a sack, um, you can at least, you know, knock him off course, force him to throw a stiff arm, and that gives your second-level guys, your third-level guys, enough time to rally to the ball and maybe, you know, force him on a third and seventh scramble to get five yards. And, you know, Lamar's taken some sacks this year by uh, moving up, you know, climbing the pocket and thinking he can get away from defensive tackles who are not necessarily, you know, hogtied by the, by the lineman that's in front of them. I think Bradley Bozeman has one of the highest – uh, you know, pass blocking rates in the NFL, partly because defensive tackles just don't have to worry that they're not asked to, to rush the passer as if they're Aaron Donald. They're just told, to, all right, stay there, maintain your gap, and and just keep a watchful eye. You know, it, he's the, the first level of defense, so to speak, uh, before those, you know, uh, robber, you know, before those robber safeties or those, those spine linebackers. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think, you know, obviously can't predict the future, but I would imagine that. The Dolphins want to, you know, take a page out of the, the past couple of coordinators' books, um, rely on a four-man rush, maybe a five-man rush with cover one, so you can have like a, you know, a robber safety in the middle of that of, of that defense. Uh, try to clog up things for Lamar over the middle, which is of course his favorite spot to throw. That's where he has Mark Andrews. That's where he has Rashad Bateman a lot of time. Hollywood Brown, if it's an RPO, that's where he likes to be. Uh, but you know, Greg uh, Roman has this offense, I think, in a good place right now after after some sketchy uh, some sketchy weeks. So. It's going to be a fascinating chess match because um, I guess the Dolphins can't do worse than the last time they faced them, right? Yeah, I, mean, I know that you know the Texans game was like you you started to see a Dolphins defense that resembled the 2020 unit that led the league in takeaways, but then you had to take, kind of take it with a grain of salt because you know it's the Houston Texans, uh, and and but then again, you know the first half of the Bills game, you did see them again, be able to do some of the stuff that we saw from last year. Um, so, you know, I kind of say this is the game that really tells us, is this Dolphins defense back or are they, you know, the same unit through the first half of the season that just hasn't been able to, to keep that same standard of play? Um, you know, I want to flip things real quick before I, I get a game prediction from you. Um, you know, Jacoby Brissett, uh, he spoke to us uh, Tuesday and he said, you know, I see the same Ravens defense as always, you know, Ravens defense or Ravens defenses. Um, if you're watching really closely, I don't know if you can necessarily say that um, because in recent weeks, this yeah. defense has uh, been susceptible to giving up a lot of big plays on the ground and in the air. They've missed a lot of tackles. Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries. You know, I've mentioned Marcus Peters. Uh, they just lost to Sean Elliott to a bleeds, torn biceps and a torn pectoral muscle, so they're going to be down another safety. Um, Derek Wolf hasn't played all season. They've had a lot of injuries, um, but is it has it just been the injuries that's kind of resulted in this dropage in player? What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, I understand what, what Jacoby Brissett might be saying in terms of the same old Ravens defense, but in a lot of ways it's not. I mean, you know, we are accustomed to 
a blitz happy Ravens defense and they are relative to the rest of the NFL still blitz happy, you know, just looking at the pro football reference blitz right net blitz rate right now, they're number four overall at 32.5%, you know, sending five or more guys. But I mean, Daniel, you were here for uh, what <laughs> blitz happy actually looks like. And that's like yeah. over, over 50%. That's yeah. over 40, over 40, over 45%. So for the Ravens to become, you know, moderately less blitz happy, I think is a reflection of the fact that uh they don't have Marcus Peters there to, to jam things up. Uh, they don't have as much faith in, in the back end of their secondary uh, to to tackle guys. That was such a huge problem against Cincinnati. You know, not just on pass plays, but on run plays as well. Um, maybe it's a little bit more faith in Justin Houston, who's had a good season, even, even if he hasn't gotten home as much as he wanted to. Maybe it's more faith in Adafi Owe, who's, you know, uh, struggled to make an impact sacks-wise the past couple games. But yeah. I mean, this is a defense that uh, even though defensive success from year to year is a lot more variable than offensive success, has been accustomed to being top five, top ten in DVOA this year. They are far from that. So uh, they had a really good performance against Minnesota. Um, other than a couple of big plays, they, they really were, uh, you know, they had their eyes dotted and their T's crossed. Um, they, they tackled really well. You know, Josh Bynes in the middle of the defense, a linebacker with Patrick Queen, the former first round pick next to him. Uh, seems to have stabilized some stuff there. Uh, but they, you know, if this is a game where they can't get after Brissett, if they can't get at least a couple stacks, uh, then it's going to be a reflection on them, I think, more than the Dolphins, because, uh, you know, to see Yannick Ngakwe and Matthew Judon leave town and almost overnight become the NFL's best pass rushers, yeah. um, it, it's, it, you know, it's uh, a little, it's a source of frustration for sure for the Ravens fans. So, uh, you know, it's really tough to tell whether Wink might go blitz happy and, you know, send five or six guys every time Jacoby uh, drops back. Cause I think he's really struggled those two times that he, that he has faced this Ravens defense. Uh, but it also might be a situation where Wink realizes, Hey, uh, this Miami team is missing a couple of its best weapons. We really don't need to be super aggressive and have a get after them because we have faith in our guys to, to stay with our man on, on you know, long developing pass routes. And, even if they catch the ball, you know, short of the sticks, we don't feel like they're that much of a threat to to, to wriggle past us. So it's going to be, I think, a, a pretty interesting litmus test for just where Wink feels about this this defense going against a pretty limited Miami offense. Yeah, I was going to say, just naturally, you would think that this is a game where Wink just kind of tees off on on the quarterback and that this offensive line that is, you know, frankly, one of the, if not the worst offensive line in the NFL. Um, right. but I, I also remember the 2020 season when the Ravens played the, the Washington football team early in the season. And they're facing Dwayne Haskins, who was, you know, got the ball out really quick. And instead of blitzing so much, they actually, you know, didn't blitz as much as you may have thought. And they just kind of rallied around and gang tackled and whatnot. So uh, like like you, I'm curious to see what the what the philosophy and the mindset is there. Um, because this, you know, whether Tua or Jacoby Brissett has been in the lineup, you know, this is routinely an offense that, you know, the average depth of target is like seven yards down the field. You know, they're not really using Jalen Waddell the way that we we all saw him used in Alabama. Um, like right. I said, Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, they're on IR. So it really is just like Jalen Waddell and Mike Gusecki. And uh, Gusecki is, you know, one of the better tight ends in the NFL, but, um, you know, they're they're just not generating a lot of explosive plays, you know, 20 plus yard pass plays with, with anybody in this lineup right now. Um, so I keep on saying, you know, unless 
the Dolphins defense can kind of intercept Lamar, force a turnover here or there, maybe get a big special teams play. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hard pressed to believe to think that this offense is going to score more than like 21 points in this game. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you're just talking about the law of averages, I mean, the Ravens special teams uh, are coming off a game where they allowed a a, a special teams touchdown themselves. Uh, you know, Minnesota ran one back to open the second half and. Uh, this is a Ravens special teams unit that's uh, for most of the season, if not all, that has been number one in DVOA. So I would not, uh, I would not count on them giving up another big play. It's just uh, not a, not a part of their DNA to to do that two weeks in a row. Um, but you never know. I mean, you know, the, all it takes Thursday night games are Thursday night games for a reason. You know, they 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 lend themselves to a little bit of craziness, uh, a little bit of sloppy play, and maybe all Miami needs is just a couple bounces their way to. To, to really feel good about where they stand. And and from there, you know, it just becomes a, a battle of who can execute the best. Yeah, Miami hasn't gotten a lot of good bounces this season. So if that happens on <laughs> Thursday, that, that, that might be a first. And, you know, I, I think you, I, you, myself, and a lot of others were kind of shocked when they saw the line, you know, it was just the Ravens yeah. at a seven-point favorite. I, I do think, I've been saying all week, I do think that this game is going to be a little bit closer than, than most people uh, believe. But what do you think? What are your score predictions? Yeah, uh, you're right. I, I think I, I was surprised, especially to see it open at six and a half. It looks like it's at seven and a half right now. I, I would think some result like 28 to 14, uh, 28 to 17. I, I think the Ravens cover, um, you know, again, uh, I don't think you can overlook the, you know, the intangible factors for, for the Ravens, not just the fact that um, they're getting they're probably getting back some potentially impact players, but also, it's a homecoming for Lamar. It's a homecoming for Hollywood Brown. Uh, I think even Sammy Watkins is a South Florida native. I think he has a Sammy Watkins, uh, you know, uh, street uh, named after him. Um, and, you know, I don't expect a perfect passer rating. I hope for Dolphins fans, health and well-being, that he does not do that two games in a row. But I, I think that uh, just the limitations that Miami has in offense, defense, and special teams, I really don't think there's a, a matchup where the Ravens feel totally uncomfortable with like they would have uh, against Miami or against, you know, Cincinnati the, the prior weeks. So not that they don't respect the Dolphins, that they obviously do, but I think considering where they are injury wise and, and just you know, where they match up and, and how they should feel about certain uh, areas of the field. I feel like this should be probably a pretty comprehensive win for them. Yeah. I think we still got some telepathy going on. Cause I was, I was thinking 28, 15 Ravens. <laughs> but, <laughs> Five field goals. <laughs> or, I mean, you could have five. You could have two pointers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Something yeah. like that. You know, we've seen some weird scores this season. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, I think that one thing I will point out, and you know, Thursday night games are weird. But like you said, the Ravens have notoriously started off slow this year, and for as bad as the Dolphins' offense has yeah. been, they're actually one of the better first quarter teams in the NFL. It's second and third quarters that just like they're terrible. You know, they, they just scored their first second, second quarter touchdown against the Texans, you know, last Sunday, that was the first time they had scored a touchdown in the second quarter. So they're like great in the first quarter. They do nothing in the second and third quarter. And then they kind of put up a lot of garbage points and, and yards in the fourth quarter. So that's why I do think, you know, this could be a little bit closer than a lot of people think, uh, you know, come the third quarter, maybe the beginning of the fourth quarter. But I do think that the, the Ravens eventually pull away and they kind of show that they're a superior team. Yeah, and just to kind of, you know, I don't think any team, if you put them under a microscope, you can kind of say, oh, wow, that, that's kind of weird. But 
uh, if this comes down to situational football, which so many games do, uh, you know, Miami fans could be somewhat encouraged, I think, by the fact that the Ravens are a pretty awful third down team. Uh, for whatever reason, they just have not been able to, to do much, especially passing wise. And on defense, uh, they've been excellent on third down, but pretty average to mediocre on first and second down. So uh, if there are uh, advantages to exploit, if there is leverage to be gained, it is on those uh, you know, early downs uh, for, for the Miami offense, and it's on the late uh, you know, third and fourth down for the Miami defense. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the Dolphins' defense, especially over the first you know couple games of the season, they were really, really bad uh, on first and second down, which kind of put them in some unfavorable third down situations where they couldn't you know use their exotic blitz um, looks, kind of like the Ravens do. So you know, kind of you know, we we I know I've read a lot about how the Ravens are starting to throw more on 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 first down on early downs. You know, they're gonna have to really be put put everything together on those early downs to um, to keep Lamar and them out of those like kind of like third and short, third and medium situations where you don't know if right. they're going to run it, you don't know if they're going to pass it. Um, and again, I think it's going to come down to the strength of this defense and whether they can um, kind of put the game of games together. But um, And even you know, if they do, and if, and if they, even if they do come up short of the sticks, you know, they went for three fourth down attempts uh, against Minnesota and they got all three. They just you know, have, have confidence in Lamar and that offensive line to, to get them a couple feet. And, uh, you know, if they don't think Miami's up for the challenge, then they're going to be just as aggressive. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have to be prepared for, for everything. You know, I know in the 2019 game, I think Harbaugh brought out everything. You had a fake punt. You had fourth down attempts. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you know, a lot of the players said that they don't, they're not really like revengeful about that game, but you know, I think a lot of them still do the ones that are left. They still do remember that game. And they don't want it to be 59 and 10. I would have, I would have wanted to forget about that game entirely. <laughs> <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I want to say thank you so much, Jonas. And thank you to Howe earlier for joining me. Uh, really enjoyed talking Dolphins Ravens. Um, we'll see what happens on Thursday night. You know, I, I got a sneaky suspicion it's a little bit closer than uh, most people think it's going to be. But uh, I'm going to be just really happy to see you, see a lot of the guys from the beat. Uh, and it should be a good night. Looking forward to good eating and a good hang, man. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. And good weather, too, of course. <laughs> oh, always, always, <laughs> most definitely. But to the listeners, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. You guys take care. <laughs>